Uh, the week of graduation, he uh, flies from Los Angeles to Berkeley uh, to meet face to face with me. So I invite him to my sorority. We talk for 45 minutes. And by the end of 45 minutes, I was like, all right, I'm going to drop everything I'm doing. I already, I was actually going to join this other company. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move down to LA and just start this company with you after 45 minutes of talking. Welcome to the Founder Hour. I'm your co-host, Pat, and for episode 33, Posh and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Nancy Liu. Nancy is the co-founder of NPlug and Natalie Bioscience, which she runs simultaneously while spending her time in between Los Angeles and Denver, Colorado. NPlug is a software that allows Fortune 500 companies to manage and distribute content using digital displays, while Natalie works with leading pharmaceutical companies to provide them their patented polymer that enables vaccines to survive without refrigeration. Two very different companies run by one incredibly talented founder. Tune in as we hear the story of how Nancy came up with these ideas, met her co-founders, the tough choices she's had to make, and the struggles she's endured along the way. We also chat about what Nancy does when she's not working, like playing the cello and violin, successfully trading Bitcoin, and being an Emmy award-winning TV producer in her spare time. We started off the conversation with the Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient by learning about her college days. Yeah, so I went to UC Berkeley and went in to study a bunch of different things. And I think it's a reflection of the fact that I had a lot of different interests. So I went in studying engineering. I went in also studying political economy, which is Berkeley's version of international relations. And then I was also in the business school. Mm -hmm. And so when I went into Berkeley, I actually had a scholarship in piano. Uh, And so thank you, mom and dad, for paying for all those piano lessons. It paid off. Uh, and when I was at Berkeley, I think I thought I was going to be a lawyer after I graduated. Like I wanted to go pursue law because I grew up in Colorado. The concept of entrepreneurship or starting your own business was so foreign to me. So when I was at Cal, I just did so many different activities, ranging from business activities, doing stuff in student government, joining a sorority and a business fraternity. Uh, so I tried to do as many activities as possible. Nancy, were you ever pressured by your parents, you know, to do a certain thing or to become an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer? Because I know my parents was just like, it was really just a doctor or a lawyer, like, you know, take your pick, <laughs> um, you know, but was there ever a time where they were just like, Nancy, you just, you got to decide, you know, you can't be doing all these things. I think my parents were pretty laid back. They were not the like super tiger Asian parents, they were in the sense that they expected me to do well, but they were never like hovering over me and being like, you need to do this. It was kind of like, you better get an A plus or else, but we're going to not bother you until we see the report card. And if you have anything but A pluses, then we're going to really like bother you. But I'm, so I'm they, expect, they set the expectation and just kind of let you, yes, let you go. And it's like, yeah. you figure out how to reach it. Uh, and so For me, when I went into Cal, I think there wasn't really any pressure that you needed to do something. In fact, my parents pressured me not to be an engineer. They were Mm -hmm. engineers, and they were like, no, don't be an engineer. Be a lawyer. That's Mm -hmm. the really cool Mm -hmm. thing. Like, you'll make a lot of money if you're a lawyer. Any any type of law, specifically, they wanted to... I don't think they understood anything about (laughs) law, so they were just like, yeah, lawyer, like from TV shows or whatever. Right. What dissuaded you from going to law school? Uh... I kind of accidentally fell into entrepreneurship 
And I just loved it. So I was like, okay, I should just keep doing this. I was building a lot of stuff while I was at school and they were uh, making money. And so Are these like, like okay. physical products or like software and things like Both. So everything ranged from like freshman year was uh, these Arduino computer chips. And uh, I turned them into these little devices that can have the lights turn on and off uh, based on how bright it was outside for the campus lights. And so... That was a side project. And then another one was this crime reporting app mm-hmm. where instead of calling 911, if it was a non-emergency, you could text 911. The university uh, awarded me several thousand dollars yeah, for this. Yeah, it's a great thing like, to build on a college campus. Yeah, yeah and I, I spent, I mean, I didn't tell the university this, but like literally less than 24 hours building it. <laughs> they paid for it. So yeah, I was like, okay, I'll yeah. keep doing this. You, Nancy, you say so casually about how you build you know, these chips as a freshman, but... How did you know what you were doing? I mean, where did you learn that? All on campus. Uh, in class? Yeah, in class. Like, we would learn these things in class, and part of the assignment was, oh, okay, you need to, like, code this, or you need to build this, and people would kind of, like, just do enough to fulfill the assignment. But I was like, hey, I'm already halfway there to making the finishing product. Why don't I just, like, finish it? I think I have also this obsession where anytime I start something, I have to finish it. Like, with books, I refuse to let myself start reading a new book right. unless I finish the one. I wish I had that because yeah. I think I've started like three books in the last like two weeks and I'm like I chapter a, two. Yeah, I have a bookshelf at home and it's like the bookmark is literally halfway in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I need, I need to learn from that. Yeah. yeah. I need to figure that out. Um, wow. So, so, so your major was engineering or? So yeah, I did a double in business and political economy and then I ended up getting a certificate in engineering. Okay. Okay. And, and, and you had, okay. So you, so you kind of stepped away from the piano. You weren't doing that. As yeah. Well. That was like always that was, just, that was kind of an entry ticket and then you kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Yep. Exactly. So. Cool. Um, so when, at what point, um, you said like you kind of fell into entrepreneurship at what point were you like, I'm going to start a business out of what I'm doing? I think all of it was just these side projects for fun. And then I would submit them to business plan competitions. I started doing this my sophomore year. Sophomore year, I was not placing or winning any of these. But then junior year, I got better and better at it. And I would just start winning from these, uh, winning money from these business plan competitions on campus. And then finally, my senior year, uh, this other project that I just started during winter break, uh, meeting a guy at a bar, we ended up starting Natalie Bioscience. That's how we started Natalie. We submitted it to a bunch of business plan competitions, ended up winning several hundred thousands of dollars to yeah. fund the company. And all of this was non-dilutive funding. Yeah. You know, Nancy, I was just going to ask you if you had done a lot of these projects solo or, you know, with a team, you know, you just said Natalie, you had, you know. A partner but with all the other side projects was it just something that you were doing for fun like it was an extracurricular activity that just happened to be making money yes and i and i'm talking about the ones that worked out there are for everyone that i just described that worked out there were five that did not work out what would you say is one of the best ones that didn't work out that you thought that i thought i really thought this happened <laughs> uh so this one company that I started called GG with me. GG with me. GG with me, which was supposed to be like good game with me. And it was this gaming platform where male video gamers would pay money to play with female video gamers because the ratio between male and female video gamers is is a pretty big difference. Right. And so there, this was this platform where like, yes, this is going to make yeah. money. And there was actually a lot of revenue potential for it, but I just wasn't passionate about it. It's kind of like dating through gaming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I kind of like that. It's funny. 
That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, like, let's take a step back for a second because you said you had you met your co-founder with Natalie, like with Natalie um, at a bar, right? Um, he was you just happened to meet him and he was like a famous biochemist. Is yeah. that right? Like, so so what happened after that? Was it like just you guys kind of had a, had conversations and where did the idea from from Natalie come from? So most of the time when I meet somebody brilliant, I almost never wait to like be like, oh, do I want to work with them? It's like instant. Like this person is so smart. They must be in high demand. Like smart people are in high demand. I have to immediately get them to work with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's for all the projects too. It's like, wow, this, I identified this one person. It's like, I immediately go after them. So for Natalie, it was literally, I was just at a bar. I, I had just come from a hacking session with a couple of friends from high school because I was back home in Colorado. And so I was uh, building this other app with a couple of high school friends. Then we went to the bar to just like chill and hang out. And then I see this like really tall, kind of good looking guy. This was like during a phase when I like had a thing for Indian guys and in Colorado, there's not a lot of diversity. So I was like, all right, there's this one Indian guy at the bar. Who is he? And my friend's like, oh, he's a famous biochemist. And I- How do they recognize him? uh, My friend was a biochemist. Okay. (laughs) And just just recognized him. Right. And I was like, you have to go tell him that I want to talk to him. I had no shame. I was like, this, a famous biochemist and he's attractive okay and so my friend goes tells him hey she wants to talk to you and so we immediately start talking and I was like I have zero interest in dating you but I want to work with you um, he was fluent in five different languages MIT uh, he patented one of the most efficient ways to remove arsenic from water when he was 17 years old that water treatment plants use today absolute genius right and so this was midnight at a bar Hmm. And we had an hour-long conversation about polymer sciences. We were talking about the cartilage regeneration technology he was working with for his PhD. And uh, after an hour talking, I was like, okay, tomorrow I want us to get together and we're going to start a company together. So literally the next day, uh, within 24 hours, we met up again and I was like, all right, what are you working on in your lab that you think is really exciting and we can commercialize? And that's where I started. And what was that? And it was basically this one polymer where he was like, you know what? I think maybe we can change it to be a stabilizer for vaccines and other biologics. And I was like, great, let's just try it out. All right. And get to get, uh, get all the, the data together, put it into a business plan and start pitching it. So he's this famous, famous bio, biochemist and he's kind of just, um, you know, doing his day to day and he's not really like thinking business, right? And you kind of come into his life and you're like, hey, like, you're really smart. You have really great things you're working on. Can we, like, take one of these and massive, massively, like, distribute it type of thing? Is that... Exactly. Is that the drops of the walls in the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I took maybe one biology class. Like, I, and it wasn't in college. It was in high school. Right, yeah. So I don't know anything about biochemistry. But I certainly, after starting the company, learned a ton about it. Of course. But he was the brains behind the technology. And I was like, I will tell you what needs to happen with the technology for it to be successful and for it to generate revenue. That's awesome. So it's been like five years strong almost, right? It's been more than five years. A little bit more. Like, 
Yeah. Almost, almost six years. Almost six yeah. years. And so how has it, how's the company evolved since, since then? Well, uh, now we have, so we have a lab uh, headquartered in Denver, Colorado. We also have uh, another lab in Europe uh, and we've got teammates. We work with companies now. Um, we do partnerships and our product is actually used by companies. So that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, so coming from, uh, also doing software, biotech is so such a different kind of timeline. It takes so much longer for anything right. to happen. So finally, it was uh, really a year and a half ago that we finally got to work with the company and having a company start using our technology. Nancy, what I'm curious about is, so I totally understand the whole, like, you know, you didn't really understand what was going on in the beginning. Like, you kind of knew, but it wasn't your area of expertise. But not knowing that... How were you able to kind of like conceptualize and turn that into a business like or even a business plan? You know, how, how are you able to just be like, oh, yeah, I, I know how to monetize that or I know how to, you know, scale that. What was really going on in your mind? I think because I wasn't a scientist in the field, it was actually easier for me to describe to other folks what the technology does, which is basically, oh, you have vaccines, you need to refrigerate it. Our technology can eliminate that. It's really simple to understand. So I think because I needed to understand it in the most basic fashion, right. I was able to describe it and pitch it in that way. And so everything that we share with our investors and with uh, other companies we work with, it, it's it's very direct and people get it. How are you able to get this famous biochemist to within like, you know, half an hour, let's say, or an hour, agree to not only meet with you the next day, but also start a company. Yeah, I think part of it is... Um, and you're like 21, 22 at this point? Yeah, you, 21, although I wasn't sure, because I was like, was I use a fake ID to get into that bar? I was like, no, I think I was actually 21. We could go with the fake ID, it's better story, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think I was always, well, one, a rule breaker, mm -hmm. and just didn't really follow rules. Um, uh, so with this, with meeting really smart people, I think I was like, all right, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I'm not. And so I'm pretty honest with myself of what I am good at. And I saw for him that he was really good at the science side, but had no right. experience in the business side. That's not to say I had experience in the business right. side. I was 21. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> right. But I had more experience than him on it. And I had started a couple of things that made money. And I, I was just really excited. I told him all the things I had built in the past, all mm -hmm. the things that had made money. I worked on this other biomedical device company that uh, we had won several hundred thousand dollars worth of grants and uh, prize money. So I was like, you know what? I want to replicate this. Uh, I've done it for a couple of years in college. So you have nothing to lose. I'll take care of all the business. Life. You don't even have to worry about it. And even to this day, um, for Balaji, my co-founder, he doesn't think about finances. I, I tell him, you don't need to worry about the finances. I will have that all taken care of. You just tell me whatever resources you need and whatever amount of capital you need, and I'll make it happen. And wow. for him, I fully 100% trust him that I don't tell him like, hey, uh, we need these experiments to be done. I 100% trust him to take care of that side. Is it difficult being a co-founder in a situation where, um, you know, it's, the roles are really kind of split between you handling the business and him handling kind of the science biotech behind it? I think it can be tricky, uh, but it all comes down to trust. Uh, because I don't understand the, the mm -hmm. science um, or, or how to do the experiments, I right. understand the science, uh, 
I think you, I just have to know that, you know, he might make some mistakes here and there, but I fully trust that he's going to get the work done. And same for him. Uh, he wasn't involved in the fundraising part, but he trusted that I would raise the money and get the top investors. How was that process like as far as, you know, raising funding? Again, like you're super young, you've definitely built products and companies, but, you know, had you raised money at, to that point, you know, how difficult was that process raising and, and, capital? And, so, and to clarify that is like, I know you had raised money from the mm-hmm, school mm-hmm. competitions, but had you raised money from like a venture capital firm right. or anything like outside of school? Yeah, no, I had not. Um, and so I actually raised venture funding for Natalie after I had raised venture money for Inplug. Uh, okay. And so I took some experience for Inplug. I mean, I really yeah. do split my time mm-hmm. between the two companies. And so uh, that's a really interesting process because the company culture is super different. We right. obviously work in very different mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly raised money differently between yeah. the companies. And, and let's talk about Inplug because it was right around the same time when you started mm-hmm. Inplug. And I feel like, you know, it, there comes a point in every sort of entrepreneurial person's life where it's like you have this <coughs> itch and you, you always have an itch. Like when you come across a really interesting business opportunity, you're like, I'm going to jump on that. But I feel like, you know, in that early 20s stage when you're like just kind of mm-hmm. in college, getting out of college, it's like, I want to start a company. Like I'm, I know it, like that's me, like, but I don't know what it is. And you kind of stumble across, you know, these two sort of uh, ideas. So um, tell us more about how Implug came about. Yeah. So Implug happened uh, basically like the last month of college. Uh, I had been introduced through this uh, guy uh, who I interned with at Goldman Sachs. And super, super smart guy. And he was like, you know what? I know you <coughs> want to do your own company. Uh, I met this guy named David Zhu. Uh, he is um, this ex-professional uh, poker player, really smart young guy who's looking for a co-founder. Do you want to meet him? And I'm like, sure. So I Skype with David for half an hour. And I was like, hey, you know, sounds like, he sounds like a smart guy. He turned out MIT to become a professional poker player, made millions of dollars before he was 18 years old, bought himself an Aston Martin, Lamborghini. And I was like, okay, this guy's doing pretty well for himself. I mean, he's doing something right. Uh, I want to meet him. And so... That kind of a way and take this risk. Yeah. Wow. At the time, I guess when you look back, you know... How are you able to kind of like assess that risk? Like, you know, a lot of students coming out of college now, it's just like, first of all, they fear the fact that they could find a job. And by the time they find a job, it takes months, a year. Sometimes it's just they don't find anything. But in this situation, you're kind of stuck between you have a job or you can kind of just like pursue your own entrepreneurial kind of, you know, passions. How was that decision so easy for you? Because that's kind of how it seems to be. Yeah, I kind of thought of it this way. So I had for the prior summers uh, been in finance. Goldman obviously paid super well, even as an intern. And the full-time offers for investment banking are really substantial. I mean, one of the highest paying jobs that you can get out of college. Uh, But for me, I looked at my living expenses and it's less than $1,000 a month. I really didn't need a lot. I grew up with no money. My uh, family, we lived in subsidized housing, and so I just didn't need a lot. Right. And I saw when I was making a high income, um, it didn't make an impact on my life like at all. I, I didn't have that many expenses. I didn't really care to have mm-hmm. nice things. I didn't need to have a nice place to live. For me, it was about I want to spend my time in the most fulfilling way possible. And for me, that was building stuff. And I was like, you know, I have a college uh, 
background at a pretty good school. Um, I think I have some skill sets. If I really need to get a job, I can get a job anytime. Right. Yeah. But I think the best time to start a company is as soon as possible. Make as many mistakes early on. Right. So, so you meet David, um, but he's not the only co-founder you have in Implug. You start with three others, is that right? Yes. Um, how did, well, first of all, how did the idea for Implug come about and, and how did you kind of all kind of get together and start this thing? Yeah, so we had a pretty vague idea of what Implug was going to be. So the five folks were myself, uh, David, Navdeep, who he knew from high school, uh, Zach Spitolsky, who David sat next to on a plane after he got me, <laughs> And then Alex Ross, who David was... David like a recruiter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we all, I remember, met. Um, uh, and then Alex, our fifth co-founder who joined, he was roommates with Zach. Uh, and so all five of us, strangers, didn't know each other. I remember meeting them for the first time at Zach and Alex's apartment. We shook hands and we're like, I guess we're starting a company together. I have no idea anything about your background, but I know you're pretty smart and you are in the same place as me where you're willing to drop everything and just start this company together. Uh, and so we talked about, we, we had a belief, a general belief that there was going to be more and more displays being used by businesses, whether it was going to be in restaurant venues, stadiums, hotels, elevators, inside of corporate offices. We just believed that there was going to be uh, increase in digital display. And so we were like, let's make the displays more exciting than they are now. Instead of just showing content, let's make them interactive and smart. Yeah. I'm, and I'm trying to picture this, um, you know, this, this kind of congregation. Um, and so it was just kind of like you guys meet for the first time and you're hanging out at the apartment and you're just kind of throwing ideas out or did someone, or was there like something already in the works where you kind of like, you know, kind of built on it? Like how did that? Yeah. So the general premise the first V1 of Implug is let's have a network of digital displays that people can post social media on and we'll have some advertising on it, okay. which is completely different than, yeah. not completely different, but very, very different business model than we have now. But that was the first version. Let's have this network of interactive, cool, exciting displays. So how long was the process of just like, you know, I know like... It's it's advised to like you know create a business plan and you know talk to your you know, would be users and see if they would use it things like that. Um, how, how did you approach this? I mean, it sounds like you kind of came up with the idea pretty quickly, um, or did you not? Like, I don't know how, how was that process like. Really? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm a big believer of you have something, just immediately jump in and test it out. And so we divided all five of us into doing very specific tasks. And so these uh, combined, what it was is uh, get customers, sign up restaurants who want to use our technology, get uh, build a V1 of our technology, super, super simple, basic stuff, and see if it works and see if restaurants are willing to pay for it. And uh, we did that all within the first two and a half months of living and working together. And did the five of you, I mean, have different backgrounds or? Very different backgrounds. Okay. So it was pretty strategic, like the, you know, coming together with five. Because I, I mean, I, I don't normally hear about, it was accidental. Yeah, it was I mean, very accidental, um, but it just fit. And I think regardless of the, the background, I think we would have made it work because I think all of us were just so open to dropping everything and starting a company together. It's, it was very fortuitous. Yeah. Nancy, one of the things that, you know, Pat and I hear a lot from, you know, our friends or just people that are, you know, kind of in our circles is they always have these great ideas, you know, they 
going to be the next million dollar, the next billion dollar. Like they're going to be the next Elon Musk type ideas. But obviously, we all know like it's not about the ideas; it's about executing it. But you know, a lot of the stuff that stops them is you know they think that you know we don't have enough money, or you know we don't we don't know how to develop this software. You know, what's your advice to those folks that you know have that idea? They believe it to be good. You know, what's the next step that they should take? Like that immediate next step that they should take. Yeah, I'm a big believer of making tasks every single day instead of having one week plans or one month plan. When you first start, just have one day plan. Like today, I'm going to just set up a website. Tomorrow, I am going to just put some sample stuff. Uh, on the third day, I'm going to call up any of my contacts I think could use this product. Just doing these really, really small steps, but making sure that every day there's something that that needs to be accomplished, and being really disciplined about accomplishing that. And a lot of times, I mean, for my background, I couldn't have built Inplug my own. Zero chance I could have done that. It's about recruiting. So if you don't have the technical skills, then you need to have the sales and business skills. Right. And so that's what I worked on is is when you are. CEO uh, and you're not you're not the best engineer then you need to be the best recruiter mm-hmm. and whether it's recruiting customers recruiting teammates recruiting investors uh, recruiting is really great communication skills and great scale, uh, sales skills do you think that that's something that's also applicable just early on like let's say I'm starting a company tomorrow and I'm not a technical kind of guy but I could be more so of the sales business recruiting type person is that something that's also applicable from day one Yes, absolutely. And I think on top of that, it's that you have to be able to be really responsible and holding people accountable. So when I first started working with Bology, after I went to break, I'm back at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. But every single day, I would call him and say, "These are the things I need from you. You have to do them." And I would bug him until he got me all the data that I needed to put together the proposal and the business plan. And so I, and in all the projects I did, it was mm-hmm. the I. Uh, in the early days, you have to be a micromanager because then it shows right. you care. So if you're the leader and you're trying to recruit people around you, if you're not getting things done, nobody else will. And a lot of the tasks that other people uh, won't do, I will just do. Even even these days, like at the Inplug office, uh, we have Roombas that clean the floor. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that takes out the Roombas dust. Right. And and I think for any kind of task. You, if you're the person starting, you have to be willing to do any task. Mm-hmm. So I'm, cur- I'm curious about the early sort of days of, of Nplug. Um, how was that like? And, you know, you all came together and, and started just kind of immediately jumping out there and, and, and talking to your customers, you know, would-be customers and uh, users. Um, at what point did it really feel like a real company and you were really on to something? I think it took a long time. I was going to say, oh, only like a few years ago did it feel like, I think for the first few years, because we were so young, we didn't have a lot of professional experience. We had just come, I mean, all of us were just recent college grads or college dropouts. And and it was everything we were like, we didn't have a concept of what does full-time regular work look like. So for us, this was just like this continuation of fun. Like yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. We did. We had... Uh, we would have these 48-hour hackathons, which I love. I'm like this workaholic, and I really like uh, get adrenaline from that. And I realize people we hire do not, <laughs> so we had to change that up. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, 
I, I think we, for the first few years, was just still on this like high adrenaline uh, rush of building things. And I think it wasn't until we were actually a cash flow positive business where I was like, oh, we, we built something and generates money. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, and we have, um, when we started getting a lot of Fortune 500 companies using our platform, I mean, everyone ranging from GE to Google to Marriott Hotels, Hilton Hotels. And then that's when we're like, oh, okay, like, yeah. This is this is real. Like they have technology. They have screens all over the place. We're live on our software. If it goes down, it makes them look bad. So we mm-hmm. need to make sure we do a yeah. really, really good job. So I think it was 2015 when we were cash flow positive, and I think that was one of the turning points. Yeah. Of our so that's like almost three years after you started. So I mean, yeah. in those three years, like, what's what's kind of going through your mind? Like, I know you're like excited and adrenaline's pumping. And like, I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna build something great. But was, were there any days where you kind of felt like, like, okay, it's been like two two and a half years now. Like, when is this thing gonna really like? I'm now I'm thinking about the rest of my life. Like, what you know, what's going on? What, I think what was what's helpful for me was I am this constant optimist. I, I've become less optimistic since then, but I think when, when you come out of college and uh, generally you build some things that worked out and you don't have anything to lose, you just have this drive and optimism that keeps you going. And I think that actually saved our company at multiple points. There were multiple points looking back where I was like, you know what, maybe if there was somebody else sitting in my seat, they would have been like, you know what, this industry is just too hard. Uh, It's just too long to ramp up. Enterprise software is one where you have to be in the industry for a long time before companies trust you because they're going to have all these screens powered by your software. If you go under, suddenly they have to uh, redo their entire infrastructure. And so they're usually pretty hesitant about switching to a startup company's technology. Uh, so for me, I think in the first two and a half years, almost naively, so I was like, no, this is going to be great. Like, and, and I think I ha- had talked to a lot of other CEOs in enterprise and a lot of my own investors where they were like, you know what? Things don't become running smoothly until like at least five years in. When you're two and a half years in and you're questioning things, you didn't give it enough time and you're too impatient. Uh, when I think about some of my most successful investors, it didn't take them five years to build a very successful company. It didn't take them 10 years. It didn't take them 15. It took them 20 or more years to build a substantial business. And I think that gave me perspective. Now, I don't think I did a great job of sharing that with my other co-founders because there are definitely points where my other co-founders were like, I don't see what you see. Yeah. Like, this isn't going the way we want it to go. It's not the growth rate. We're seeing these other companies that are going from zero to a billion dollar valuation in two years. Yeah. Why isn't that happening? to us so yeah I, I know i know they say like obviously like celebrate the little wins especially in the early days because that that's what keeps you going um but oftentimes like there might not be a win all the time and like you know that like your growth isn't steady because you're just like you said like you're still kind of just figuring it out or making trying to like you know uh get your name out there in the, in the industry as like a industry leader or someone who's capable of, of servicing these big companies right um how do you navigate that, right? Like, especially for that long of a time? I think it depends on the style of the founders. So I think for me and for my my other co-founder, CTO, uh, Justina, I think both of us were just raised in, like, she was raised in Poland. I was raised, you know, first in China and then by Chinese parents were, like, 
if you get an A plus, that's like expected. That's not a win. That's like a yeah. Like you need. So I think in some ways, I was actually really bad about celebrating the little wins. But maybe it helped because I was like, you know, if we want a big deal, I was like, okay, great, but let's go for the next one. It was one. never let's, good enough. It was not good enough. It was like, okay, cool. It's this this company, great. They signed up a couple of hundred screens. All right, we want a couple thousand. Like, yes, like be happy about this, but don't forget this is like, don't get too excited about this. Don't get too comfortable where you are. There's so much more. Uh, to go. I think nowadays I've gotten a little better of like rewards of like, so for example, we uh, got some VIP suites for the upcoming Clippers game. Mm-hmm. And so we're taking the team on because we did a really, um, we, we kicked butt in 2017. Mm-hmm. And so now we're like actually celebrating. And it was um, my sales manager who told me like, Nancy, I think we need to like celebrate. Like we, we've had some like, you know, wins recently. We should celebrate. And I was like, okay. Great, I'll like hate her lunch. She's like, no, that's not enough. Like some of these. Because like really for good. you, it might just be like, I'm like this is normal to me. But like for a whole team, it's like mm-hmm. you want to keep the morale high and like mm-hmm. are we are we on the right track? Are we not on the right track? Are we doing the right thing? My um, whole perspective <laughs> on work, work life balance, hours has totally shifted from 2012 when right. we started. One I think theme that I've seen so far, and I want to kind of delve deeper into is trust. You you brought up you brought it up early on. You kind of mentioned it a few times. Um, and there's obviously a lot of relationships here, you know, when you start a company like this that require trust, you know, trust between you and your investors, trust between you and your co-founders, trust between you and your, you know, team members, trust between the team members themselves. How do you manage that trust? You know, let's maybe specifically talk about the investors first, but how do you, number one, get them to trust you and then continuously trust you as you kind of embark on your journey? Yeah, I think it comes down to setting expectations and then meeting those expectations. Uh, so I think with team members, uh, even in just general relationship, right. I, right, right. I, I think about you know like when you're when you're dating somebody, uh, how is that trust uh, generated? It's a combination of you give them a certain set of expectations. And then through time, do you meet those expectations? And I think that's what we have to do with not only our teammates, but investors. So with investors, uh, I think the trust builds where uh, we have, um, back in the day, we used to do monthly reports. It was a little excessive. So now we do quarterly reports where we say, here's what we accomplished last quarter. Here's what we're going to accomplish next quarter. And then when that next quarter comes, we say, we reference the last one. We say, here are the things that we got done. And here are the things we didn't get done mm-hmm. and, and being very transparent about everything. Uh, so I think as, as a team, uh, everyone on our team knows our revenue. Everyone on our teams knows uh, our sales. So it's very transparent. People know exactly where uh, the company is. There's no like hiding numbers from any right. part of the team. The engineering uh, schedule for all the new features that come out. Uh, I mean, we use our own product throughout our office with uh, all these screens that show this is exactly the timeline of next releases and so engineers are held accountable similarly we have screens all over the office that show sales dashboards so every engineer knows uh, which salesperson is having the highest sales yeah um so i want to kind of talk about how you're you balance both of your projects and i'm sure you have other projects you know on the side too but um it's you know it'd be like i guess more Understandable if, if they're you know Natalie was kind of like down the street from here, but they're you know it's in it's in Denver, right? Um, how is your time split in between the two? How do you how do you manage all that? Yeah, so I am a believer of 
I don't think I can really do efficiently spend more than 40 hours per week on each company. And for me, I sleep about four to five hours a night. So that leaves me a decent amount of time to do both companies and then hobbies. And I have a ton of hobbies. Um, I'm actually a really like lazy person. (laughs) And so like, I think I just need to have lots of things going on for me to be productive. Like the more things I have, the more productive I am. If I like only had one thing, I would be the most, the least productive person. That's exactly how I am. (laughs) Exactly. It's nuts. (laughs) And, And so like I spend most of my physical time in Los Angeles uh, but but time-wise it's it's fairly equal um, there are some weeks where I'll spend more time on Implug or some weeks I spend more time on Natalie uh, it's the wherever I can most effectively and efficiently use my yeah. skills so I think that's a great segue into into your hobbies because I was kind of reading a little bit about it and I was like really like wow um, so you said you know like at a young age um, you played the piano and, and um, you also play a couple other instruments cello and the violin is that right yep yep we got it um and then uh aside from that i, I think I, I don't know where i saw it it must have been your linkedin or something where you're like i saw you, you snowboard and then you're a certified marksman like like how do you like do you like how did you get into all these different types of i mean your, your college experience sort of explains it like you're just i feel like a naturally curious person and you're just like oh, i'm trying to learn as much as i can <laughs> but tell us tell us more about your hobbies yeah, I honestly think it's I'm a I'm a one super lazy person. So if I don't like get myself to like have a goal, like I just will be sitting around watching Netflix and Hulu all day. Yeah. Um and 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 so in order to prevent that from happening, I just have all these different goals I want to accomplish and half the time I am in no position to accomplish them <laughs> and can't achieve it. And then sometimes it works out. It's like the um, I just try lots of things and see which ones I end up being good at. And the things I'm good at, I actually enjoy doing because it's kind of fun when you're like yeah. good at something. Um, and so I think I just am really open to learning new things, trying new things. Um, one of my hobbies ended up turning out to be like one of my most profitable things I've ever done, which is trading Bitcoin. Like wow. that, I've now made more money doing that than anything else I've done. And it was literally like the most side project wow. of anything. I feel like if we were to stop this podcast right now and re-record it and talk about the fact that you're an Emmy award-winning TV producer, uh, we could have a full episode on that. How did you get into that? Like, I mean, is it the uh, it's an Amazon TV show? Is that yes, right? yes. It's called The Bay. Okay. Uh, super trashy. B-A-Y. B A Y. Is it about like the San Francisco? Like it's or? not. It's this made up city okay. called uh, Bay City. Okay. Uh, and, and there's just you know inspired uh, by the Bay. <laughs> Probably yeah. yes, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. You said you said you said you said yeah. yeah. Is that is that just a passion of yours? Like, how did you get into just doing production? Um, so I think again, going back to like, just having interest, I'm like, you know, like I want to be able to like do as much as I can accomplish things in all these different industries. And I'm just going to see how I do and just try it out. And so I met this brilliant director, Gregory Martin, who's the director for the Bay. I met him when I first came to LA. I was like, you know, I'm really curious about the entertainment industry. That's such an LA story. I know. I I'm like, I'm like, I'm in LA it's now. So yeah. how can I, how can I uh, help out? So I was helping out as uh, being a producer on uh, one of his movies back in 2012. I helped get some fundraising. I invested in it. This is the and same then, 2012 where you started Plug and Nano. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 2012 was a big year for yeah, you. <laughs> it really, really yeah. was. Uh, and so um, that movie didn't really go anywhere, but we just kind Kept in touch and I was always really impressed with his talents and his drive and I saw the first couple seasons for the bay and I was like you know it's really taking off and it's doing really well it's getting no- 
nominated for these awards. So when he asked me to be on the season two of Amazon, the Amazon season two is actually the regular seasons, like season seven or something. Mm. But Amazon picked it up gotcha. on like season six. Yeah. Um, so he was like, hey, do you want to be involved as a producer? I was like, yes, I would love to. And so I just help again on the business side. And I think um, folks come to me sometimes be like, do you want to help out? And I have zero interest of, of, of like, um, wanting anything monetary. Yeah. I think it's all like, this is super fun. Like if I can help out and be part of it in any way and uh, have it be successful in any shape or form, I'm in. That's really cool. If I had to ask you, and this is probably very difficult for you to answer because I can just imagine me having to answer this question. <laughs> um, it's, it's difficult for me too. What would you consider your one passion? Like, you know, it could be one of the things that you're working on now, but just one thing that you're super passionate about, whether it could make you money or not, what would that be if you could answer it? I, I've thought about this a lot, and I think it's that I just love building things and something that people use, like whether it's a TV show that people watch or it's a product that companies, I, I just love building. Like the concept of building is really exciting. And I think because when you're building something new, you're learning new things and you get to meet people and you get to see uh, human capabilities, I think that gets me really excited. Like, you know, when it comes to like um, being a marksman um, or snowboarding, it's the human capacity of like how, how our bodies can move and the things that our minds can do. Yeah. So I, and, and that's really interesting because it's like, I know, um, Anyone I know that really is kind of like a builder like yourself, like whether it's building physical products or just software and things like that, um, they just love the initial stages of like just building something and putting it out there. Um, but obviously, like when it comes to like building a company and you know the longevity of it, now now we have investors involved, and it's not just building new products anymore. It's like trying to sell the product that we already have, um, minus you know little iterations here and there. Um, it's a different ball game. Um, how has that experience been for you? Like, do you enjoy it as much, um, or do you still kind of feel like like you just want to keep building new things? That's such a good question, and I actually wondered that myself when I was first starting a company, and I worried about it too. And I think my investors worried about it because what they saw was in college I was just starting all these things and building things and like initiating these projects. Uh, and so I myself was like, oh, no, like, am I just the person that like starts it for the first few years and then uh, uh, hands it over to somebody else and then goes on to do something else? Um, but I think over the years, I've learned I actually really enjoy the not the initial parts, but the expanding and growing Implug. The fact that Implug now has thousands of companies. We have some of the biggest companies in the world using us. And we're this like small company supporting this massive infrastructure of software being used around the world is really fun and such a different thing of like in the early days is like well how do we make like ten dollars like let's just start there how do we make our first ten dollars and so that has become a totally different kind of challenge when you have now we have offices around the world how do we keep those teams aligned with our culture here how do we make sure that their milestones are met uh, how do i keep uh, really good communication with my general managers for the other countries uh, those have been really fun um, I'm doing it for the first time. I haven't done it ever before. And so uh, I think that becomes really interesting. And I actually like it. And the thought of starting a new company from scratch actually is now daunting to me. Yeah. And now, like, now that I know how hard it is, it makes me actually less wanting no, to yeah, do I it. I know you just think about, like, the tedious stuff. It's like, oh, I'm going <laughs> yeah. LLC and then do this and the taxes exactly. and all these things. Yeah. I love it. 
I want to talk briefly, or maybe not briefly, about the Forbes kind of 30 under 30. Um, you were on that list. Um, how did that happen and what was kind of the impact of that? Yeah, um, I'm so grateful. Like I, when I think about the Forbes 30 under 30, it's really not me. It's the entire team made right. that happen. Um, so I actually don't know how I got into this. I think it's like some folks like nominate you. And then, and then, like, all I got was, like, one, they asked for, like, some information about me, and that was it. Never, didn't hear back from them for, like, months, and then, like, it was released, and I think somebody else told me, like, hey, you're the Forbes 30 under 30, so and I was like, oh, know. my gosh. <laughs> like, at least, I think they do it a little bit differently yeah. now. What year was this? This is 2016. Okay, a couple years ago. Yeah, and, and I was really so excited. I mean, the folks that have been on the list and are on the list are the most impressive people. A lot of them are my friends. I have so much respect for them and it's, it's a huge honor. Um, I was just really excited. I was like, all right, where do I go from here? Just get tons more time 100. <laughs> Why not? I want to ask you like, so you grew up in Colorado, you said, and then you went to school in the, in the Bay area. What brought you to LA? Like, why did you choose? I know you said David was from LA. Um, was that the only reason you came down here or did you have another sort of reason for that? When I was growing up in Colorado, um, and like we were like super poor, I would watch TV, and I remember I would see you know these like glitzy LA like TV shows and reality shows. I remember when I watched Real World for the first time when I was like nine years old. I was like, "What is this? I don't get it. Sure. Why is this happening? Why are they in a house and arguing and fighting?" But uh, you got uh, like that's that's LA. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, so that's LA. <laughs> like, what, what is this?" Are, but then you know, like the beautiful beaches, and I was like, "Wow, one day I'm going to be able to travel." I'm going to be able to like go to like sunny Los Angeles and I think I just had this idea of like uh, you know when I make it I'll, I'll get to go to LA kind of attitude and so when I met David and he was in LA I was like yes I'd be happy to go down to LA instead of coming up to the Bay Area I was like I would I'd be happy to and, and Zach and Alex and Navdeep everybody was already in LA yeah, and so, just so I had no problem taking a U-Haul down uh, from literally I drove it myself from Berkeley to LA I want to circle back to something I asked you earlier. In all, and it's about your parents, but like in all of this, what are your parents thinking? Obviously, you know, the whole, they supported your whole entrepreneurial, you know, vision and, you know, what, what do they think of all this stuff? Well, my parents were pretty big risk takers themselves. And I don't think I appreciated this until I was much older. Of course, but yeah. the fact that they immigrated to the U.S. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, this makes my parents sound like a heartless person. But so right after I was born, I was like an accident. And they made me understand like, like Chinese parents do that. They, they're like, you should be so grateful because we didn't want you. But here we are taking care of you. you know? So they were like, they just got married. They were in grad school. And then they had this full ride to go to the Netherlands to do uh, my dad get his second master's, my mom her first master's. Uh, and so I was literally one years old. And they were like, well, we can't afford to take her there. So... Um, they just dropped me off with my grandparents, aunts, and uncles that lived in rural China, no running water for it the first couple of years. And they were off in Europe studying. And they literally didn't see me for years straight because you, they couldn't afford a plane ticket to China. So I was like, you know what? Like, they kind of seem heartless, but wow, they really had the guts to like, you know, like kid, job them off, and then picked me up when I was five years old. And suddenly it's like, oh, she can talk, she can walk. Nice. <laughs> Let's take her to the U.S. <laughs> and, and so I think my my 
parents have always been pretty open to just opportunity. And they kind of just let me do my thing, mostly because they were too busy when I was growing up. They were getting their graduate degree. My mom was working as a waitress that night. So I hardly really saw them until I was in middle school, where then we finally we moved into our first home. And that was a really big deal. When I was growing up, we were living in these subsidized housing. And I was like, oh, one day we're going to get our own house. It's going to be amazing. Uh, And so I think by then, that's when my parents were like, trying to get a little bit more involved in my life. I was like, whoa, I've already had it figured out for like the past several years. Um, And I never had a babysitter, which was, I think, pretty illegal for like coming home as like being six years old and just going home, making myself dinner, et cetera. Uh, But, you know, that's basically what happened. So they were pretty laid back. Um, And again, but their expectation was like, you better get A+. Um, And I think now, so... Uh, my, my mom passed away when I was in college and that marked a really big, made a big impact. She was my best friend. Uh, but I think she was like a person that was so like, don't worry about how much money you ever make. Don't worry about your successes. Like what you should always care about is making the most out of your skill set. Like you should always try to go, uh, be the best you can. And she would always tell me when I was in college, she was like, you're taking too many classes. Why are you doing like a double major? Don't do that. Just do one major, Mm -hmm. relax, nap. When I was in high school, she'd always be like, do you want to like take this day off and just skip school for a few days? Like that was my mom. She yeah. was like, I think you worked hard. Like just like relax and like don't, which is kind of interesting, which right. almost like made me be like, no, I have to like do the opposite, wow. you know, reverse Maybe psychology. Yeah, she's <laughs> Exactly. And so when my mom passed away, it was just like, oh my gosh, like, well, I really should just take a risk. Like, wow, life is really short. And that's actually, uh, I started Natalie three months after my mom passed wow. away. And it was, I think it was like, you know what, life, this is, this is life. I have nothing to lose. And I think my dad's uh, outlook on life too now is just like, you know what, just enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, be as great of a human being as you can be, be mm-hmm. the most caring person, give all you can give, but don't work yourself to, to death. Like you should yeah. just have fun. And I think our culture at Implug is very much that too. Like I used to, I think in the early days when I was starting a company, I was like, we should not be sleeping. Like if you're sleeping, you're not getting work done. But now it's like, you know what? Like work is work, have fun. But I hope everyone on our team has a life outside of work and that right. they don't stay too late. Like if people are late at the office, I think, you know, years ago I would have been like, whoever like stays until midnight gets a prize or whatever. But now it's like, if you're staying here past like seven or eight o'clock, it's like, no, no, go home. Mm-hmm. Like enjoy yourself because I bet if you do that, you'll actually be more productive right. the next day. Yeah. Yeah, if they get their rest, if they're doing their things, like all the hobbies that you're doing, I think it just kind of clears your mind from your daily life. And you, I think you perform better, like, because you're so focused during your workday on just work. And then I feel like when you go and unplug, which is interesting, um, when, <laughs> unplug, unplug. when you go unplug, it's just like you, you have that time to yourself. And I think that that's something that Pat and I were recently talking about because we were both like just sick for like a month. And we were like, dude, like, we just got to relax a little more. Like, cause we're always like, you know, trying to do all these different things and we're always hyped up, which I think is great. I think that that forces us to do things, but at the same time, it's just like, I think that that relaxation or just kind of that time to yourself and reflecting on, you know, just you or just what's around you. I think it makes you even more productive in whatever you are trying to pursue. So I, I totally agree with you. And I think that that's something that. You know, whether you're a founder, whether you're somebody who's thinking about doing something, I think that's something that you should definitely think about is, you know, kind of like think about yourself and how you function, like not how society wants you to function, but how are you going to be the best version of yourself? And I think at that point, you'll realize how you can succeed.
So, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, Nancy, it's been an awesome conversation. Um, learning, learning more about you know your your story and, and and how you're just kind of involved in so many awesome things. So, um, I think I speak for both of us when you know we say we are excited to see you know uh, where you go in the next you know five to ten years. I'm I'm I would be willing to bet that you'd probably start another side project <laughs> after uh, chatting with you. 2022, yeah. I feel like that's a nice that's a nice mark. Yeah, ten year anniversary. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us and thanks for the time. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. This is fun. <laughs>